Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning. Hope you're all having a good day. Uh, Before I get started, I just want to say how thankful I am to be a part of this place. This place allows me to do things like I took a weekend off last week. Uh, I've been running pretty hard for four and a half months, and every year we try to take a short trip for, for our daughter's birthday. And we did that last week, and it was just a great time to rest. My daughter got to run alongside cheetahs. It was the best day of her life. She was so excited. Uh, So thank you. I'm just grateful to be at a place that does that. I'm also thankful to have a youth minister that can step in and teach the word clearly and authoritatively while I'm out. So thank you for letting me do that. Um, And also, as we get into this series, I want to encourage you to bring Bibles with you because there's going to be a really good opportunity to take notes and mark parts of Scripture that will help you navigate through some of the things we're going to talk about because we're going to attack some things. So make sure you're bringing your Bibles. And I I will acknowledge, I know it it can be dark in here. We're working on that. So just know that that, we're going to fix it. Don't worry. But bring your Bibles and let's be in them together. But I do have a lot to cover. So let's get right after it. Okay. For 150 years, the New England Primer, which is this book right here, was used as the basic school book for elementary schools in America. This was where they got their foundational teaching in elementary schools, and it was published in 1688, and it was used all the way through the Civil War into the mid to late 1800s. And in that book, it poses this question. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that this book gives that was used in schools across America, it says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. For years, we all agreed on some fundamental basic truths. And those truths were passed on to the next generation and held on to tightly. These truths held the fabric of society together and kept us all united Regardless of our personal preferences about this or that, we could agree on these basic things. But things have changed, haven't they? There are no longer foundational truths that we all agree on and that hold us all together. Truth is relative. My truth could be different from your truth. It's based on personal experience. And, you know, while we're not necessarily able to change that for our whole culture today, maybe someday, But we as a church can commit to standing on real truth. There's one authority that we stand on for truth, and that is scripture. We trust the Bible because it is the word of God, and it's given to us as a gift and a guide to help us navigate the chaos of living in a fallen world. Now, in this series, we are going to define truth. What does the Bible say about everything? You know, so often the world claims something to be true that is the opposite of what the Bible says, and what are we supposed to do with that? You know, the default position of a lot of Christians tends to be one of two things. One, we will just defer. We'll say, well, this is what I believe, and that's what you believe, and, you know, you have your truth, and I have my truth. It's my religion, and we just defer. Or 
we compromise. We try to marry the two things. We'll say things like, well, you believe that the Big Bang started everything? Well, that's fine, you know, but God made that Big Bang happen. Or we'll say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the way to heaven, but you know, if you're good enough, things will be okay. God wouldn't condemn a good person. We compromise. We compromise truth instead of firmly standing on what the Bible says. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that God created the heavens and the earth with his words. We need to learn to trust what the Bible says and live like it's true. So, for the next couple of months, we are going to look at some of the lies that the world tells us and then look at the actual truth that Scripture teaches. I'll warn you, it may be uncomfortable. You know, as I was preparing for this series, I looked back over some notes I've written over the years. I had written a class for students years ago on biblical authority, and this is something I wrote in that class. I said, sometimes it hurts to teach biblical truth, whether it's about homosexuality, abortion, drinking, smoking, sex, or any number of other issues, sometimes it hurts to teach it. The Bible is always countercultural when it comes to big issues, and our job as Christians is to submit to the teaching found in this book that we believe is breathed to life by God himself. You need to know that when I teach something that is hard to hear, I don't do it because I enjoy making people uncomfortable. Okay? I don't enjoy that. It's not what I look forward to. But I do it because I have to hold to the conviction that the Bible is true and given to us by God himself, and he is the ultimate authority on everything. So today, before we can get to all the topics we're going to cover, we have to cover why the Bible is the ultimate authority on everything. Why can we trust it? Because the world tries to tell us that the Bible is an ancient myth. It's just a collection of stories that have been written over time meant to guide children or whatever. But scripture tells us that the Bible is absolutely the truth that we should live by. So why can we trust that? Let's find out. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word that we know is from you, that is a foundation we can stand on that is absolutely true. And God, I pray today that you pour through me the gift of preaching to speak clearly and effectively to remind us that your words are the truth we stand on, that there is no other truth. You create truth. You are the source of truth. Speak that through me to our church so that we can be shaped to live the way you have called us to live and to trust you with our whole heart. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. In his book, God Wrote a Book, James McDonald says, there are nearly 25,000 early manuscripts and portions of manuscripts of the Bible. The next most commonly copied ancient book is Homer's Iliad with just 643 manuscripts, and all of those are partial. But if you challenge an English professor who studies ancient literature and say, I don't believe we have a reliable version of Homer's Iliad, he would say, of course we do. We have 643 manuscripts. That's sufficient. Now, isn't that standard wild? We have 25,000 manuscripts of the Bible that are re historically reliable, yet we don't trust it as much as something as a historical document like Homer's Iliad. The Bible 
having 25,000 manuscripts is by far 40 to 1 to be exact, if you like ratios, more reliable than any other ancient document in history. It's not even close. Another interesting note is that the earliest biographies of Alexander the Great that we trust for all of our historical information on his expansion were written four to 600 years after his death. But the Gospels are written 30 to 60 years after the life of Jesus. And also noting the people who wrote this stuff is really important because the people who wrote the biographies of Alexander the Great that we use for history were people that were just observing the changes in culture and looking back at artifacts and then piecing it together and making a book about Alexander the Great. But the people who wrote the Gospels actually were there. Or they talked to people who were actually there and gave firsthand accounts. People like Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and wrote the book of Acts. Luke was not an apostle. Okay, we often assume he was one of the apostles. He was not. Luke was a member of the community that was a trusted source for historical information. He kept histories and he was a doctor. And he attached to the disciples and followed them around through the gospels and through Paul's expansion of the church in Acts. And then he knew someone named Theophilus who had heard these stories. And Luke is a, he's an expert. He's a trusted voice. And so he wrote these letters to Theophilus. And this is what he says in Luke chapter one, verse three. He says, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. He can say that because he was a trusted voice in his community at the time, and what he said people knew was true. Now, I share all these facts with you so that you can understand. The Bible has more historical accuracy and authority than any other document in ancient history. I could go on and on about all the historical events that the Bible shows were true, and then history would find out later that the Bible was right. It happens all the time. You know, we accept things like the war story of the Trojan horse and everything about Achilles and Helen of Troy. We accept that as historical fact without hesitation, but the only place it's written is in Homer's Iliad. We accept all the stories of Alexander the Great and his expansion through Europe and Asia without hesitation. But his documents weren't written until 400 years later. However, from a historical perspective, these events can't even come close in the amount of documentation or accuracy in documentation as the Bible does. The Bible truly is a one-of-a-kind document. Now, if you want to read a complete defense of the reliability of Scripture, you can get that book that I referenced called God Wrote a Book by James McDonald, or you can get the more popular one, um, a Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. They're both great books. I don't have time to do a complete defense right now, but go get them. Read them. Solidify your view on Scripture because it is so trustworthy. But based on this, just this overview, what do we believe about the Bible then? What is it? Is it just a series of stories meant to teach us how to live a moral life akin to Aesop's fables or children's fairy tales? I mean, it often gets boiled down to that, right? But it's, it's so much more. What we have to understand about the Bible is this. We believe that the Bible is the inspired, 
an inerrant word of God. Now that means, being inspired, that means that God spoke through these men as they wrote scripture down. It was his words through them, much like a prophet that we would see in the Old Testament that would go into a city and tell them God is saying this. Same thing here. God was speaking through them and they wrote it down. It's his words to us. And it's also inerrant, which means that is the perfect word of God and it reveals God's message to the people on how to receive salvation from sin and death. I wanna make this abundantly clear. The Bible is our ultimate authority on everything. Everything in life, we go to the Bible first. Second Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, Second Timothy, chapter three, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now this verse has a very clear application and this is what it is. We submit ourselves to the teaching of scripture. Scripture does not submit to our feelings. We often do things backwards. We will have a feeling about something or we'll have an opinion on a topic and we will go through scripture trying to find scriptures that support our opinion. That's the wrong way to do it. What we should be doing is if we have an opinion on something, we go to scripture and we see if it lines up and when it doesn't, we submit to what scripture says. That's the proper way to do things because we trust God over our own feelings. I'll get to that in a minute. This is where things get difficult, though. It's much easier to follow our feelings to guide our responses, right? It's much more difficult to surrender our feelings to the authority of God and do what he says. But I want you to continue to take a look at what goes on farther down in 2 Timothy, because we often read 2 Timothy 3.16 and stop. But he goes on and tells us why it matters. In in chapter four, starting in verse two, he says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Here's why. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, church, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Does that sound familiar? Because it should. As a culture, we're so prone to live in echo chambers. We gravitate to places that affirm our positions on this or that, and we live there because we're surrounded by people who say things that our itching ears want to hear. It's easy and it's affirming. But when we do that, it results in chaos. I'm going to share a lengthy portion of Scripture because we need to hear it. This is in Romans chapter 1, and Paul is telling us exactly what happens when we abandon truth. So follow along with me. This is Romans 1, starting in verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And drop down to verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Does that sound familiar? Because it should. This is what we live in right now. The abandonment of truth. It results in chaos. But when we stand on real truth, none of that happens. As followers of Jesus, we believe that the Bible is the absolute source of truth. And here's why. God alone is the source of truth. First and foremost, God is the only source of truth. I want to be really clear here. We do not create, nor are we the source of truth. God is the only source of truth, and he is never changing. His truth has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing ever changes. And because he never changes, we can always trust him. And second, the Bible is from God. We covered that, right? The Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. It's from him. And there's a book called His Truth where Jack Cottrell explains it this way. He says that God is a sure source of truth, benefits us only if he decides to communicate with us. But has he? Yes. We can rejoice that God has chosen to speak with mankind and he has done so in a way more precise and direct than the general revelation that comes through observing creation. He has addressed us with words. He's spoken to us in human language. And he has left his message with us in a permanent form, namely the Bible. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this is a clear reference to Jesus. It's letting us know that Jesus is eternal. He was with God in the beginning. But Jesus himself says in Matthew that he did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. He is the embodiment of of scripture. The Bible contains God's words to us. It is from him. Therefore, the Bible is truth. If God is the source of truth and the Bible is from God, it stands to reason that the Bible is truth. It is authoritative by nature. It carries the words of a sovereign God who is the source of all truth. We can trust what it says and joyfully submit to its authority. 
So what are the implications of that? The scripture is the authoritative truth. What do we do? What does that mean for us? First, it means that we stack everything against scripture. And I do mean everything. And so often in life, when we want an answer on something we're struggling through, we tend to go to a few different places. We look for expert opinions or blogs or books. We'll browse YouTube looking for an answer that feels right. But what we should do is go to Scripture. When we feel alone, instead of looking for a streamer or a YouTuber or a podcast who communicates our loneliness and seems to understand us, which honestly then just perpetuates our loneliness and makes us dive deeper into depression, we should go to Scripture and see what God says about being lonely. When the world is fighting over a cultural issue and we don't know what our response should be, we shouldn't go to CNN or Fox News. We should go to Scripture and have the response that Jesus would have. Take the entirety of your life and everything you do and stack it against Scripture. If it's in line with what Scripture teaches, keep doing it. If something goes against how the Bible calls us to live, stop doing it and ask God how to give you a new way to live or as Romans says, renew your mind. Remember, the Bible is our compass or our level. When we get off track, it shows us where level is or where north is and we move ourselves to where it should be. I mean, if you were traveling in the woods, you were exploring unknown parts, and you were using a compass to guide you, and the compass said that way was north, but you said, no, I don't agree with you. I think that way is north. You're going to get lost. If you're hanging pictures in your house, and you're using a level to line everything up, and you look at the level, and you go, I disagree with you, level. I don't think that that is level. And you start hanging pictures however you want that you think is level, your house is going to end up looking like a Picasso painting. Okay, everything's going to be all wobber-jawed, and everyone who comes to your house is going to be buying you a level for Christmas. All right, the Bible is our level. It shows us where to go. I shared this scripture a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to share it again. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Stack everything you do against scripture and see if it lines up. The second implication is this. Scripture is our authority, not people. There was a reformation in the 1500s-ish with Martin Luther. If you know anything about Martin Luther, he was tired of exactly this. The church at the time was listening to the dogma of church leaders, and it was directly opposed to what the Bible teaches. It didn't line up with Scripture, and Martin Luther got tired of it. He wrote 95 theses, nailed it to the church door, stuck his stake in the ground, and he said, sola scriptura, which means by Scripture alone. And then later in the 1700s in America, we had the Second Great Awakening, which is what this church is born out of. We are the Restoration Movement. This was from Stone and Alexander Campbell. And they said the exact same thing, sola scriptura, by scripture alone. No more creeds, no more men telling us what is right and wrong, only scripture. I feel like we need to hear it again, sola scriptura. 
by scripture alone. There are so many teachers we can listen to now. With access to online streaming, we can listen to thousands of Bible teachers whenever we want. We can listen to sermon after sermon and we can learn a lot. And it is a good thing. I'm I'm very thankful for that. However, there are many teachers out there who are not properly teaching scripture. They are teaching a false or an incomplete gospel. And if we don't study scripture ourselves as the authority in our lives, we won't know the difference. We need to be in the word ourselves so that we can make sure that what we are listening to is in line with what scripture says. I said this a while ago, but I want you to do the same thing to me. I'm not just saying it about popular online teachers. Study scripture yourself, and as you listen to me, make sure I am consistent with what scripture teaches. I mean, although I've been ordained, and I've been entrusted with the role of your pastor, and I've been educated in how to properly read, study, and teach the Bible, that doesn't just make me the ultimate authority. Everything I teach should be consistent with scripture. So make sure that scripture is the authority you trust, not people. And the third implication is a lot like it. It's just a little more personal, a little more intimate. Trust the Bible over your feelings. We're often told in culture to follow your heart. Do what feels right. But this usually leads to disaster. The Bible says to do the opposite. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. 2 John, verse 6, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Feelings are fickle. We all know that. They change from one day to the next based on our encounters and what we go through. We can't trust feelings. There's a popular podcaster who's known for saying, facts don't care about your feelings. Now, I I understand he's being tongue-in-cheek to get a response. That's his job. He's meant to do that. But he's not wrong. When we trust the truth in Scripture over the shakiness of our feelings, we stand unwavering on a solid foundation. Our path is straight, and it becomes illuminated. So over the course of the next two months, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to look at what the world says about life, and we're going to stack it up against Scripture. We're going to start to shape our hearts to submit to the authority of Jesus over the opinions of man. As Jack Cottrell says in his truth, some think that submission to Scripture is a burden, a state of bondage. But truth does not enslave. It liberates This is the promise to all who yield to biblical authority. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's John 8, 32. I want us to stand on scripture because I want us to know the truth. When we know the truth, we know freedom. I mean, Jesus says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what he says, those are his words, and if the Bible can be trusted, and we know that it can based on its historical accuracy, then what it says is true. And what it says is that we are sinners who need saving, and that can only happen through Jesus. 
We have to know him. And this is the beauty. If you want to know him, you can. You can come to him and be baptized for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sin. That is the promise we find in scripture. That if we submit to Jesus, we are forgiven of our failures and promised eternal life in heaven. That's incredible. Should not be possible. But it is because of Jesus. If you want to know more about that, oh man, I'll be down front here during this next song and I would love to talk to you. There is no conversation I would rather have than that one. Be bold, stand up, declare his lordship in your life and come talk to me because that is the promise of scripture that we can have freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. The hope we have in him, we are so thankful for that. We're thankful that your word is absolute truth and can be trusted. We're thankful that you are the creator and we are the created beings who can trust you fully. Thank you. And God, above everything, we're thankful that you knew the way to redemption, that you knew that through Jesus, we could find hope and forgiveness. Thank you. God, I pray that we as a church would be people who stand firm on the solid foundation of biblical truth and authority. That we would submit to what it says. And we would listen to your word over the feelings of the world. And we would be shaped by what scripture says. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.